Welcome to the Dominic Inyart Show. My name is Scott Shamblin. And I'm Nicole McBurney. Yesterday, we talked a little bit about the history of the Black History Month and the degradation of the Black family, uh, the history of feminism, and the destruction of the nuclear family uh, in general, not just the Black population, but of all races across the United States and in first world countries in general and all the problems that came along with the destruction of the nuclear family. And we also gave you a very complicated two-step plan to solve the issue. Number one was to get married, two was to stay married. And these solves a ton of life's major problems, so be sure to go back and listen if you haven't already. But today we want to take a look at the affirmative. Yesterday we talked a lot about the destruction. Today we want to talk about building up. So let's start by getting our foundations down. So Scott, why don't you go ahead and get us into it? Yeah, so at KGov, we believe in the God of the Bible, uh, that he's the creator of the universe and that he sets the moral standard. Uh, we believe in the biblical, literal 24 hour, six day creation. That being six days, literally 24 hours. Why is that important? Why is it relevant to the nuclear family? It's because we are created in the image of God and God is a moral God. Therefore, we are a moral people. Not saying that we are always morally good, but that we are bound by morality. In Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created man in his image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Without God, there is no morality. And if we are not created in the image of God, we have no higher moral standing than animals. When society believes that it has the same lack of morality as animals, it tends to act like animals, which we can see anywhere you look today uh, with the high rates of theft, crime, murder, sexual deviancy, and the celebration of these acts. Yeah, if you take God out of the picture, you have no standard for really anything. Everything, anything you say just goes. There's no uh, accountability. So to the atheists, the materialists, uh, this is going to be quite a doozy for you if you do not understand that there is more than just the physical. Um, I'm going to quote from John 3.12. Jesus said, If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Now, Scott, you know that a lot of the atheists of today can't even tell you what a woman is. So I don't really care what they have to say about morality and the metaphysical. They can't even define the physical. So this is why we want to start from the very beginning with God. If you do not have God, you do not have morality. If you do not have morality, you have no foundation for anything in your life. So last week, we can see the long-term results of deviating from God's perfect moral standard. And some of these were actually quite interesting. Scott, you want to give us a recap of those? Yeah, um, but first, uh, just pointing out, God doesn't tell us not to do things because he wants to be a killjoy, but rather because he loves us and everything he says not to do, if done, will cause destruction, disease, and eventually a faster death, uh, because that's the natural consequence of being separated from God. Mm. Uh, which we can see from last week. Uh, we had the homeownership gap. This isn't exactly a moral thing, but it makes things more difficult. Unmarried men, they make less money. So our solution, get married and stay married. Uh, the next one was food insecurity. Uh, the USDA, they reported that single mother households were more than three times as likely to experience food insecurity among children than married couples with children. Uh, the next one, infant mortality. 
there's a huge correlation between infant mortality and the family structure. Shocker. The infant mortality rate for unmarried mothers, according to the study we found, is 6.53 out of 1,000 compared to married mothers, 4.11 out of 1,000. This one was wildly surprising, but childhood asthma as well. Children who live in a single-parent household, they're nearly twice as likely to have a physician's diagnosis of asthma compared to children living in households with married parents. Diabetes was another one. You're significantly more likely, children specifically, are more likely to have diabetes in single-parent families and HIV and AIDS. You already know where this one's going, but uh, get married, stay married, wait for marriage. You solve that crisis entirely. So the solution is getting married. And today we are talking about the nuclear family, uh, which marriage is a pretty important piece of that. Uh, Nicole, I believe you have a quote from Alan Keyes on this topic. Yeah, so Alan Keyes was having a debate with uh, former President Barack Obama. I believe this was back in 2004 when they were discussing what constitute a marriage, right? So as Christians, we would say, of course, one man and one woman is a biblical marriage. Um, the atheists, like I said before, they have no grounding. They reject God, so they reject that definition of marriage, and pretty much anything they say goes. So this is a quote from Alan Keyes, and he says, To act as if concepts are laughable means that you want to be irrational. We make laws by means of definitions, and if you don't know how to operate with respect for those definitions, you can't make the law. An individual who is impotent or another who is infertile does not change the definition of marriage in principle because between a man and a woman in principle, procreation is always possible, and it is that possibility which gives rise to the institution of marriage in the first place, unquote. So he's just laid out the foundation of marriage, which is in accordance to God's standards, of course, one man and one woman, but he gives the reason why. The reason God instituted marriage in the first place was to provide a stable structure for which to raise children, and that requires one man and one woman. So it's essentially a public declaration stating that I am dedicating myself to this woman or for a woman to this man and her to me. I am responsible for you and you to me, and should we have any children, I am fully sharing those responsibilities. Marriage is a social accountability program for you, for your family, for your church, for your community and society and the government to hold you accountable to each other. Yes, accountability is a big part in marriage. It is a vow to stay with the other person for the rest of your life. Marriage was instituted by God. I don't care what anybody else says. Any other definition of marriage is invalid. And if you look at what God said, God says marriage is for life. So I was kind of looking around the internet trying to find a good story to bring onto the show. And I came across this article about, I, I don't know who this is, Sophia Vergara and Joe Manginello. I don't know who they are. Probably actors. I don't really care. It doesn't really matter who these people are because you can find the exact same couple pretty much anywhere in the United States going through the same issues of divorce. And she says the reason is because, quote, my marriage broke up because my husband was younger. He wanted to have kids and I didn't want to be an old mom, unquote. And to this, I'm just wondering. That's something that you talk about on date number two. Right? Like, how did you not come to this before you got married? 
what were you what were you doing before you got married to anyway it's just absolutely insane so i don't i'm sorry that you guys are going through this but you know what you put it on yourself you idiots so if you're if you're thinking about getting married please 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 discuss stuff like this beforehand there's there's things that you want to discuss with your potential partner before you commit to them or else you're going to go through this disaster here but tying us back in, what does a biblical marriage look like? We need Not in order for a, a healthy, functional nuclear family. You need a healthy marriage. What does a healthy and biblical marriage look like? Um, we have the passage that is read at basically every Christian wedding. It is Christ-centered. It is a cord of three strands, is not easily broken. It's husband, the wife, and God. That was read at Dominic's wedding last week. And then there's the parallel between, uh, between marriage and Christ's relationship with the church. Uh, in Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Yeah, and you know, there's another parallel I could tie in is within the Godhead. You know, there's the three in one. Um, also, when man and woman come together, Genesis says the two became one flesh. So. There's that similarity there as well. So what does a biblical family structure, what, what does it look like? What are the order of priorities? Um, well, the first thing you're going to need, of course, is God. We've kind of been talking a lot about this for this beginning of this show. God is going to be the foundation of not just your marriage, but of your life. If you don't have God, you have nothing. So priority number one is your relationship with God. The second priority after God is your relationship with your spouse. You should put your spouse second. Marriage is the keystone for a functional family. Mm -hmm. I actually got into a slight argument a few months ago with one of our friends who's also a listener uh, who challenged me on spouse being above kids. Uh, the reason for mm -hmm. this is that in order to have a healthy family, the parent's marriage needs to be healthy. Children brought up in households where they had a healthy marriage modeled for them are significantly better off in all parts of life than children who never saw a healthy marriage. Yeah. And, it, you know, like I said earlier, when a couple gets married, they become one flesh. So if they're having disagreements, it's like one machine is having issues. It's not functioning properly. So you got to keep those wheels greased so that the machine will run smooth. That way you can take care of the rest of the family. A house divided against itself cannot stand. So then priority number three, we had first God then second, your spouse, and number three is your kids. Uh, parents have a God-given responsibility to properly train up their children. In Proverbs 22.6, we read, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is a general rule, which is generally true. Raise your children in fear of the Lord. If they submit themselves to his authority, they will do well in life. The other more secondary parts of this equation, that is the responsibilities of a parent to their children, is successfully is to teach them how to successfully have and maintain relationships. Because after all, we are all relational beings and need relationships. We are made in the image of God. God is a relational God. He has a relationship with us. He has a relationship with himself through the Trinity. We mm -hmm. need relationships. The next one is to prepare them to obtain and maintain gainful employment. This is so he can provide for his family 
And most importantly, as we mentioned first, a parent's role is to prepare your children to independently be able to have a relationship with God. So that makes up the bulk of the nuclear family, the mother, the father, and the children. But what about other relatives, such as your maybe your grandparents, cousins, your nieces and nephews? Well, according to 1 Timothy 5.8, if anyone doesn't provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, we had brought this verse up in a previous episode, um, but it is very important, so we're bringing it up again. Notice the part where it says, especially for members of his household. This means that parents have responsibility to their kids, and the kids also have a responsibility to take care of their parents, um, you know, once they get older, and maybe your parents are in their elderly years, they need some help getting around. This is a kid's responsibility to take care of their parents. Um, Once you have that structure taken care of, once you have all the immediate family members taken care of, then you can go and extend your love to your other relatives, like I said, cousins, nephews, uncles, grandparents, all that. And once all your family is taken care of, then you can move out to the community. Which is point number five. First, it's God, then your spouse, then kids, then your family and relatives, then community. Uh, The community, which is your church, your neighborhood, town, city, etc., This is uh, where taking care of the needy and poor come in. This is preferably done through the vehicle of the church. But you can also just help out your neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. So, you know, the guy across your street, he needs help chopping down a tree. Go out there to help him chop down his tree. (laughs) Point number six, the rest of the world. Jordan Peterson he said, don't try and fix the world if you can't clean your own room. <laughs> I, can, I can do better than that. I have a quote from Jesus. <laughs> he says, you hypocrite, first cast out the beam from your own eye, then you shall see clearly to cast out the speck out of your brother's eye. Matthew 7, 5. I'll be honest, I have this little pet peeve whenever I hear a philosopher or you know someone who people are always praising say something. I'm like, I know Jesus said that first, and he said it better. (laughs) So notice how not one of these uh, six points, not one of them were self-seeking. In fact, you yourself are not even in this list of priorities, because we're called to agape love God and man. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 13, we find the definition of love, and that it is not self-seeking. We're going to do a little Bible study. So warning, we're going to read the Bible on public radio. (laughs) Now, before we get into that, you said agape. Can you define what agape is? Agape love, uh, it is one of the Greek words for love. It is the love God gives his children. It's selfless, it's self-sacrificial for the sake of strangers, family members. It is the highest manifestation of love. You can uh, see an example of this with Jesus himself. Agape love was displayed on the cross. The highest form of love is the giving of one's own life for another. Though you don't have to do that uh, in everyday life. You can only do that once. But there are many (laughs) ways you can do that, largely through being uh, not self-seeking. Yeah, you know, in English, we only really have one word, love. The Greek has more than one. I think four primary ones, maybe more. I'm not, I don't know. There's six or seven. Oh, is it? Okay. Well, there's a lot, uh, more than English, that's for sure. And um, I think C.S. Lewis does a good job of kind of covering the the four basic ones. It's called His book is called The Four Loves, and he covers the four major topics like the agape love, brotherly love, uh, familial love, and eros love, which is between a married couple. 
So I highly recommend the book. I just wanted to throw that in before we moved on. So back to the uh, list of priorities. Not one of them is self-seeking. Romans 8, 12 through 13. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. In life, we have two choices, the red pill or the blue pill, to deny the flesh or to live carnally. Galatians 5 lays out the difference between walking in the flesh, that is selfish living, and walking in the spirit, living accordance to God's will. Uh, Starting in Galatians 5, verse 16, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Skipping down to 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. But the fruit, Yeah, that doesn't sound very good. Yeah, all of every single one of those is self-seeking. It's selfish. But continuing in verse 22, but the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So to recap our priorities on how to structure our lives, firstly, it's our relationship with God, then our spouse, then our children, family, relatives, community, and the rest of the world. Something else that's fun to point out is that this is actually the order of creation. First there was God, then there was man and woman, and then there were children, etc. Yeah, et so it sounds like God has already set the precedent, and it works. So stop messing it up. <laughs> Follow God's plan for a successful marriage. So now, if we have a married couple, and they're living in accordance with God's will, then they're going to fulfill his command to be fruitful and multiply, right? So what do we do with all the, uh, the little children? What do you do with them? You just let them run around and do whatever they want or now i would like to point out that i would probably order these in a different order but nicole put in the in our notes for this show first first point is spanky dang kids <laughs> hey it's very important you don't want a bunch of little brats running around come on <laughs> uh there's there's a show uh from bob in your live years ago uh where bob was answering a call on the question of spanking. Mm -hmm. Uh, The caller asked, is there a certain way you should do it? And Bob said, oh yeah, I recommend waiting to start spanking until after the kid is born. (laughs) Yeah, spanking them after they're born is probably uh, some good advice. Uh, Trying to spank them before they're born uh, doesn't work so well. (laughs) You're formulating another human's very being, basically from scratch. Your job is, as we said earlier, to prepare them for life, to be functional. Jordan Peterson, who Nicole does not like very much, he has this quote, which I really like. It's that you should not allow your children to do anything that makes you dislike them. All right. That's a solid quote from him. I, I agree with that. It's, it, I'd say it's pretty <laughs> yeah. solid. Another recommendation I would give is this book right here behind me. It's called To Train Up a Child, A Guide on How to Properly Raise Your Kids in a Godly Fashion. And uh, I believe this edition here that I have in my hand was printed in 2000. So this is the one that my parents read to raise me. This is why I got spanked so much because I was a little brat 
And the book said, if you got a little brat, you got to spank them. So it tells you all the ins and outs of it. Good book. I recommend it to all our parents out there. Um, you can go to kgov.com slash store and find it there, along with um, another video that we recommend, How to Be a Christian Family on Blu-ray, DVD, or Video Download. Next point on children is please, please, please don't raise iPad kids. <laughs> I have never once met an iPad kid that was pleasant to never. be around. And if you're somebody that I know that's listening that has an iPad kid, I'm sorry, your kid is not pleasant to be around. <laughs> yeah, you know, I see these kids at the restaurants and at grocery stores, wherever, just glued to an iPad or a phone. Like, come on, parents, you can do better than this. You can teach your kids to be quiet and behave long enough to run errands or have a decent meal. Um, my parents, again, the book, you know, they never said, give your kid an iPad. That is terrible advice. If anyone tells you to do that, you know, you should probably cut off your friendship with them. Um, in fact, recently I went to the UPS office and saw this mother and her son um, also going into the office. And the mom had a few boxes in her hand and she had a big box in this grocery cart. Um, and she was using it to just kind of get it to the store, you know, and her kids fallen behind her. He has a bag of chips in one hand and an iPad in the other. The iPad has a handle so he can carry it around. Like who invented that? But anyway, the mom goes and she kind of gets the door open and she asks her kid, you know, can you push the cart into the UPS store so we can get this box in? And the kid, now, Scott, if you're, if you were that kid, just imagine you're that kid, you have your hands full and your mom says, can you push this cart? What would you do? No. <laughs> you would tell your mother no? <laughs> Wouldn't you get smacked upside the head? If I were an iPad kid. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, getting back to my story, what this kid did was he just kind of body slammed the cart and just made this whining noise. Like, he wasn't even trying that hard. He wouldn't say no. I suppose that's something. But he wasn't trying. He just kind of, like, slammed his body against the cart and just like, I can't do it, I can't do it. And I just wanted to rip the stuff out of his hand and be like, just put it in the cart and push the cart. It's not that hard. But, uh, you know, I had to bite my tongue because I was, I don't know why. I guess I should have said something because that was just embarrassing. I feel bad for that mother. But also it's the mother's fault for letting her kid get to that point. So don't raise iPad kids. And please, like I said, spank them. And kids like that, they're usually, oftentimes, they're in some way mimicking their parents. Children, they yeah. model their parents. And so you need to lead by example, which is our next mm. point. To be a good parent, you must lead by example. They will mimic what they see you do. This reminds me of like how a kid, they'll fall over, something like that. And they're not actually hurt. Before the kid reacts, the parents, they rush over and start acting like yeah. the kid is hurt. And mm -hmm. then the kid decides, oh, I'm hurt. And they start yeah, bawling. Starts wailing, yeah. But if, <laughs> oftentimes, if the parent sees that the kid is fine, and mm -hmm. nine out of ten times the kid is fine, the kid mm -hmm. doesn't react. Yeah, just gets back up and it's like... And they just go on with life. It's like, oh, I fell off the stool, whatever. Yeah, most of the time it's attention-seeking, so, you know, just... But a... A bigger piece of this equation is modeling a Christian life for your kids. If you model this Christian life for your kids, they'll generally follow your model. So don't be a hypocrite. There you go. I host a young adults group at Agape Kingdom Fellowship every Wednesday, and we were talking about this a few weeks ago. It's a really big problem in the church that so many young people in their teens and 20s, they leave the church. And a huge complaint of them is that their own parents were two-faced. Mm. They did not practice what they preached. 
And the people in our young adults group, they were talking about how like they have not had models. Like they had Christian parents. They went to church. Uh, they didn't have a model for reading the Bible. Mm. They didn't have a model for praying frequently because all they saw of their parents doing that was basically never reading their Bibles, never praying out in the open other than maybe if they're lucky, a meal. Mm. So if you want your kids to have a good relationship with God, you should show them how display that relationship yeah. to them out in the open in your home. Mm -hmm. Something my, my dad has done with me ever since I was little before I could even really read is, you know, he would read to me a Bible verse or a Bi chapter of the Bible every night before bed, you know, read your kid a story, a bedtime story. My dad would read a chapter from the Bible. In fact, still continues to this day, every night before bed, we all gather around. My dad will read a chapter from the Bible and, and we're in the Psalms right now. So we just go through and then somebody will pick a new book and we'll just go through that till we're done and just keep the cycle going. You can't never read the Bible too many times. So it's a lot of fun. And, and, and you learn a lot just uh, listening to your parents read, you know, you pick up little things sometimes like, it's like, I know we've read this chapter, but I never noticed that bit. And then it can open up into a Bible study. And then you and your kids can go in and study the Bible together. And you can teach your kids how to properly read the Bible, how to study properly. It's, it's a lot of fun. And it's, um, it's good for your kid's soul. Which takes us to our next point. If you don't raise your own kids, someone else will. Yeah. Homeschool your kids. Uh, recently in the news, uh, we had a public school principal in Oklahoma who resigned after he was exposed for being a drag queen. Mm, that's nasty. He was a drag queen and he hired other drag queens to be in the school teaching the children. Yeah. So here at KGov, uh, Bob Enyart has been telling parents for over 20 something years now to get your kids out of the government schools because they are... First and foremost, they are against God. So that is the number one reason why you should get your kids out of the government school. And then uh, a whole nother list of uh, 2,000 and something reasons that he's got on his shows telling you why the government school is bad. And this story is just another one of them. We could probably put this at number 2,765 or something. A lot of reasons that the government schools are detrimental to your children and you need to get them out. So we highly suggest that you homeschool. Um, I've heard some criticism about homeschoolers. You know, they're not going to be socialized. They're going to be too sheltered. They're not going to understand how the world works. And of course, just like any system, if you're not doing it properly, you're going to have bad negative outcomes. So of course, you do need to put in work when you're homeschooling. You can't just keep them at home and do nothing. That'll get you nowhere. But um, a lot of these concerns are, for the most part, a myth. Right, Scott? Uh, there are the weird homeschooled kids. Sure which is what the media and most of society tries to paint all of us as. Mm -hmm. But they ignore the weird public schooled kids that have tails and are Naruto running through the hallways. But being homeschooled gave me a lot more opportunities than my public schooled peers. Uh, I was able to start working full time around 17, which honestly was better than any kind of schooling that I could possibly get. Mm. I was able to, it, it gave me a, the start to a career that otherwise I would have needed four more years of college and waiting. And Yeah, so instead of going into college debt for four years, you just start a little early. Yeah, you got paid. There you go. I have a, I have a little IRA now. There you go. <laughs> 
And that brings me to my last point, which I have written down here as child labor. Um, Now, I'm not saying that you should send your kids to the coal mines to risk their lives or anything. But when you have your kids at home, you can have them help you around the house doing some, you know, manual labor, fixing the car, fixing a leaky sink, do some gardening. And uh, not just to enslave them, but it's also teaching them some valuable life skills. Teaching them how to be a functional, useful human being. Exactly. But that brings us to our time today. Uh, The nuclear family, it is the most important foundational building block of society. When you have healthy nuclear family, you have a healthy society. And Dominic, which we mentioned in yesterday's show, he is starting his nuclear family just last week. He got married and he's currently on his honeymoon. Uh, We haven't quite hit our telethon goal for January yet. So we're extending it while he's gone, and we're hoping that that might be a fun wedding gift for him and his new wife. Yeah. So go over to kgov.com, hit that telethon banner before we take it down. You can buy a product, send us a donation, or sign up to become a monthly sponsor. If you sign up for a monthly sponsorship, we will multiply that cost by 10 and apply that to our telethon goal. So be sure you go to kgov.com, hit that telethon banner. We thank you so much for all of your support and for listening. I'm Nicole McBurney with Scott Shamblin. May God bless you guys.